Christine, and I am the host of this podcast that you're listening to right now called Sides Grace. And ironic, I know, my middle name is Grace. That's where I came up with the idea. But if you are tuning in and you've tuned in every single week, I want to extend my gratitude. Thank you so much for tuning back in this week. And if you are new, I also want to share my gratitude with you and say thank you for clicking and listening today. That means a lot to me. I release every single Wednesday, and if you want more information for the podcast that I post and a little bit more information that I may have not provided here on this podcast today, please go to my Instagram, my official podcast Instagram, side underscore grace. That's where you can find all that information that you need. Set your reminders to remind you that a new podcast comes out every single Wednesday. And on that note, I'm not going to keep you any longer. We're going to get the podcast rolling right now. Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm so glad you are here today. And I mean, I am so happy that you are here at the same time that I am here today. Today, we're going to have a bit of a conversation that I think everyone should be having. This month is Suicide Awareness Month. We are going to conduct this conversation with grace and compassion. I'm going to discuss my own personal experience and like always, I hope that this brings you a bit closer into my experience and I hope it brings a little bit more insight for you. So growing up, you guys know I had a really rough time with my mom. My mom absolutely wanted the best for me and just wanted me to be safe and healthy. However, I'm not going to use that as an excuse or invalidate my feelings that I felt at that age. My mom knew that the best that she knew, and it is my responsibility as an adult to rewrite my story now. My mother and I's relationship often was seen as a very controlling, stifling relationship. My mother often, at times, wanted to control almost all aspects of my life at a very young age. You know, every movement I made, every decision I made, I felt at such an early age that I was stripped away from my autonomy. I felt like my life was actually my mom's. Like, I didn't have any control or sense of control for my own life at such a young age. In high school, I would say I was a child who had a bunch of friends from a bunch of different friend groups. I was also highly involved around school and I was in about five to six clubs by my senior year. I played soccer for the school and also I did track and field and I did piano. So I was also getting high honor roll and performing well at school overall, despite my home situation. I was a child that you thought was doing really well in life. However, out of all the extra activities that I had, I literally dread having to go home. And when I was home, I was just super withdrawn from my mother. However, I loved being around my brother, my father, and my nephews. Later on in my senior year, I started to notice that sadness increased. Like I started really feeling sad. On top of that, I needed to start deciding where I was going to attend undergrad and where was I going to compete for track. I remember often that my mom would be on the phone with loved ones 
and she would almost brag that my that she would not allow me to go anywhere that was further than 30 minutes from home. And I remember the moment that I felt this intense feeling of, oh my God, I'm never going to leave her. All I wanted to do was leave. I did not want to be around my mom anymore and school was a ticket to that. So from that moment, it overshadowed me. Remind you, I was 18 at this time. Now a month before winning prom queen, I had frequent thoughts of committing suicide. I had frequent thoughts of sometimes very rash rushed impulses. Like, I'm just going to do it. Like, it wasn't really thought out. It wasn't really planned. However, I never went through, like I said, with a plan. It was never a plan. But they were just thoughts. Like, some of the thoughts were, you know, maybe I'm going to drown myself in the bathtub tonight. Or the second thought that I had was, oh, maybe I will poison myself by sitting in my car now, a month after winning prom queen, prom queen and only 13 days after graduating high school, I started to prep for my suicide. One night was just absolutely overwhelming. I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I just remember a sense of calmness come over me with that thought, which is a scary place to reach. I wrote a letter that addressed everyone. And then I took a handful of Advil and NyQuil. And I think the saddest part about that letter is that I did that letter in my notes. So I still have it to this day. And I oftentimes I'll look back on it. And to see where I was back then and where I am now is so completely different. So after taking a handful of Advil and NyQuil, I instantly laid on the bed and I felt an overwhelming feeling of this is not it. Like, this is not my time right now. Like this was a mistake. So I got up and I told my brother immediately. Now here's when I realized that what I may have done really would have impacted others and myself. I got in the ambulance. My mom called an ambulance and I remember my mom freaking out. And I remember my brother kind of asked me, like, why did I do this in a sense? Those things didn't phase me. But when I got on the ambulance, I saw my nephew Landon at only four years old, repeatedly asking my brother, where was auntie going? That will forever be etched in the back of my head. I remember his little voice asking, where's auntie going? And that was the most haunting and most eye-awakening moment for me was those words. So while in the hospital, I lied to everyone. I lied and told no one that I attempted. I regretted what I did and I was really ashamed. Like I remember feeling really ashamed for what I did. So I lied, I lied to my mom I lied to my brother. I lied to the hospital. And I think, again, that was one of the biggest regrets that I had was not admitting to attempting suicide. I wish I had stayed there and got the help that I needed because doing it alone is so hard. 
And I don't think people talk enough about the recovery after an attempted suicide. So that is what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about suicide, who is at risk for suicide, and how you may be able to help yourself and other individuals who may be experiencing suicide ideations, suicidal thoughts, um, and who just might be really low and maybe at risk for that suicide attempt that we want to avoid. So before we get started, I want to put out a disclaimer. I'm not yet licensed. If you're feeling like you are at harm for yourself or someone else, or you know someone else who's at harm for themselves or may harm someone else, and they need assistance, please call 911 or drive them to the nearest emergency room so that they are able to be kept safe and that they will be evaluated and they will make the necessary steps for that individual. I'm here to provide information that I'm learning while in my mental clinical health master's program. I am not let yet licensed. I want to make that very clear, but I'm wanting to provide that information to you that's tangible and easy for you to reach and grasp for yourselves. And I want to be able to, again, open up that insight and that conversation for a lot of things pertaining to mental health. So now moving back into the topics of suicide awareness, we're going to talk about the facts and the myths about suicide. So suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States for all ages. Every day, approximately 130 Americans die by suicide. There is one death by suicide in the U.S. every 11 minutes. On a more global platform, nearly 800,000 people die by suicide each year, which is roughly one death every 40 seconds, and that is according to WHO. Females attempt suicide three times as often as males, according by CDC. And there is 12.7, so 12.7 in 100,000 young adults, ages from 20 to 24, die by suicide each year. And that is by NIMH, the National Institute of Mental Health. Again, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death for young adults or adults in general from 18 to 65, according to CDC, and lesbian, gay, and bisexual kids are three times more likely than straight kids to attempt suicide at some point in their lives. So I think that's really important for us to have those tangible facts because oftentimes we Suicide might be put in the back of our brain. We might not remember it. We know that it's there, but I don't think we're discussing it as much as we need to be discussing it because clearly the numbers show that this in itself is its own pandemic. We are now going to move into the myth and facts of suicides. I'm going to give you a couple seconds for each one that I state for you to decide if it's a myth or if it's a fact. So the first one that I'm going to state is suicide only affects individuals with a mental health condition. Is that a myth or is that a fact? This is actually a myth. 
You do not need to have a mental health condition to be impacted by suicide. Suicide does not have a preference of those with a mental health condition. Everyday life stressors can trigger thoughts of suicide. Those life stressors can be loss of a job, divorce, grief, sexual abuse, trauma, criminal slash legal matters, and health conditions as well. The next question I have for you is, once an individual is suicidal, they will always remain suicidal. Is that a myth or a fact? That is also a myth. Those who sought out treatment and get treatment often see a reduction in symptoms. Stated by NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, the act of suicide is often an attempt to control deep, painful emotions and thoughts an individual is experiencing. Once these thoughts dissipate, so will the suicidal ideation. While suicidal thoughts can return, they are not permanent. An individual with suicidal thoughts and attempts can live a long, successful life. The next question that I have is that talking about suicide will lead to and encourage suicide. Is that a myth or a fact? That is also a myth. There is a widespread stigma associated with suicide, and as a result, many people are afraid to speak about it. Talking about suicide not only reduces the stigma, but also allows individuals to seek help, rethink their opinions, and share their story with others. We all need to talk more about suicide, and that is according to NAMI yet again. And the last one that we have is people who die by suicide are selfish and take the easy way out. Is that a myth or a fact? This is also a myth yet again. NAMI stated that typically people do not die by suicide because they do not want to live. People die by suicide because they want to end their suffering. These individuals are suffering so deeply that they feel helpless and hopeless. Individuals who experience suicidal ideations do not do so by choice. They are not simply thinking of themselves, but rather they are going through a very serious mental health symptom due to their mental illness or a difficult life situation. So now that we were able to go through all the myths and facts of suicide and clear up a lot of things, we're going to move on into our topic two. So who is at risk for suicide? Well, I don't know if a lot of you heard of that stigma that, you know, those who have mental health disorders are the only ones who have, are able to have suicidal thoughts or ideations. And that's just false. Suicide does not have a face or a type. You know, thoughts of suicide can find anyone at any time in any time period of their life. There are so many life circumstances where ending someone's life can come to mind. That can be losing a job, going through a breakup or a divorce, losing a loved one, having a hard time adjusting to life and new circumstances in life. You know, like a lot of elderly or older people even experience those life transitions that are really hard. And there's so many different life stressors that can really inhibit someone to feel hopeless or helpless. 
So yes, it's true. You do want to screen those who are currently dealing with a mental health disorder quite often for suicide risk, but we should also be screening those who don't have mental health disorders. Everyone should be screened for suicidal risk. We are all, and we all can be at risk for suicide thoughts or suicidal ideations. So now we're gonna move into topic three, how to help yourself and others. Now, how do we help ourselves during this time? First things first is I want to remind you that you are never alone. When you feel those bouts of hopelessness, you know, remind yourself that you're truly not alone. And I know it's hard at times to remember that. Our mind is constantly telling us that, you know, we're alone. We're never going to make it out of this. This is just it. It's never going to get any better. And we get lost in the mix of the darkness. We often forget that we have individuals and organizations that are willing to help us during this really tough time. If you're experiencing an emergency or have been having suicidal thoughts, plan or prepping for suicide, please go to your nearest emergency room or call 911 so that health professionals can ensure your safety. If you are in a crisis and do not feel like you are going to commit suicide, Call your local crisis hotline. From there, a crisis worker will work with you one-on-one and supply any further resources you may need help with. And one of the things that I always suggest is, you know, going on Google, typing in what county you live in and the county crisis line. So, for example, one of the counties here is like Lehigh County. So you can type in Lehigh County crisis hotline and that can pull up the crisis hotline for your area in your county. If you're experiencing frequent periods of sadness, hopelessness, outreach to your doctor to discuss some of the symptoms and thoughts you may be having. From there, your doctor can make referrals for mental health professionals. I also recommend identifying a safety contact for yourself. So think about one or two trusted individuals you can go to when you're feeling down. From there, let them know that at times you may call them when you're feeling particularly low and have, you know, have that open discussion with them. Let them know that you're going to use them as a safety contact personally for yourself. I also recommend a list of what to do when you're having a breakdown. So being able to identify what are the steps that I need to take if things aren't going well for me? Who do I have to call? What do I have to do? to ensure my safety. And this can be applied to when you are feeling like you may harm yourself. And one of the podcast episodes last week, Rob actually goes into making that list for yourself. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it's the episode before this one and it's called Rap. And again, you can are able to make and break down a plan for yourself. Now, if you are someone who you think your loved one may be suicidal, there are a few things that you can do. The first thing I want to remind you is that it is okay to ask someone if they are suicidal or if they feel like they want to kill themselves. You are not putting that idea in their head. Your loved ones may not always tell you the truth, but it is always better to ask 
and let your loved one know that you are there for them with absolutely zero judgment. Sometimes it's difficult to admit to an individual or individuals that you're feeling suicidal. So check on them and remind them again that you are there for them with no judgments. You are there for them and you will not judge them for anything that they say. Again, if you feel like your loved one is an immediate danger to themselves, immediately call 911. Or if you can, and if you are near them, transport them to the nearest emergency room so that they are able to be helped and assisted in keeping themselves safe. So I guess another really important question, and you know, I wanna help a loved one who maybe experienced these things, what do I do and what questions do I ask? You know, how do we know when someone should go to the hospital for, you know, I'm scared that they might harm themselves? And there are a few questions that you can ask. You can ask this person, you know, are you feeling suicidal? You can also ask them again, following up with that question is, you want to ask them if they have any suicidal thoughts and how frequently. You want to make sure, though, that you ask them if they have a plan. That's the most important part. Ask them if they have a plan to harm themselves. And then another question you can ask is ask if they are prepping for the plan. So if they identify and they say yes to having a plan to commit suicide or to harm themselves, that is when you most definitely know that an emergency services need to intervene. If you feel like your loved one may be at risk for suicide, for those wanting to help a loved one, I want to reinstate and I wanna make sure that you understand that again, you wanna be open to providing a safe space for that loved one. Then you also wanna discuss options of finding additional support. So that may be finding a mental health professional who can assist them via in-person or telehealth. So encouraging again, that individual to seek help. But also again, we can't force people to. That's important to also remember. And then understand that it's important not to get frustrated with the individual. We want to meet them where they are at and we want to be encouraging and supportive. For everyone, I highly suggest writing down these hotlines that I'm going to supply and phone numbers that can be accessed and utilized 24-7, seven days a week. These are great places for individuals who are going through a crisis or loved ones who would like more guidance on how to help an individual who may be experiencing a crisis. So these are great resources to use when you want to get additional information or you would like additional support. So the first hotline that I'm going to give you is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Resource that I'm going to give you is the crisis text line. Text home to 741741. There is also an online chat that you can access, and you would just go to www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org. 
imalive.org. There is also a Hope Line Network, and you can call 1-800-422-HOPE. And the last one that I'm going to provide is the Trevor Project LGBTQ, and that is also, again, a hotline, and you can call that number at 1-866-488-7386. And again, these resources are accessible to you 24-7. So please don't be afraid to outreach to them. A lot of times your information is kept private and your autonomy is kept intact. And again, outreach, explore those additional resources. And there are so many more than what I had mentioned, but I just wanted to give you guys a few of them. On that note, I hope that this podcast episode provided a little bit more knowledge for you, a little bit more insight about my life, and I hope that you're able to kind of reflect on your own and being able to understand how can I help myself and help others who might be feeling suicidal or I might have noticed that they're feeling a little bit more hopeless and helpless and how can I help them? What can I do to be a good advocate and resource for them. Now, before we end this podcast episode, I actually have a quote that I want to leave with all of you. The quote goes, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. That I hope is a reminder for you that even though we might go through our really dark periods, light will come again. You are loved and you matter And I hope this podcast episode made you feel loved and mattered because you are. I hope that you're able to share this with a friend or family member and leave a review behind as well. I appreciate you guys being here today and being with me at the same time in the same time frame in the universe and earth. It means the world to me. So thank you again. I am your host, Leah Christine. I can't wait for you to hear next week's podcast. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.